Well, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor, Lewis, or Pastor Lucas sorry, spoke to us about connecting with the vision here at Bayview Glen, and part of doing that is pursuing multiplication. And so we talked about the possibilities. Uh, what are some of the things that lie ahead for Bayview Glen as we pursue multiplication? We talked about the possibility of some video venues and, the, and launching a, a new evening service. Um, but this morning, we have a guest speaker who is pursuing multiplication himself uh, by, uh, through, through the alliance with a new venture out in Montreal, and his name is Dominic Russo, and uh, Dominic has a PhD in historical theology, as we've been hearing for the last, last few weeks. He's married, has three young boys, and he has just arrived in Montreal. He's been there, in three we- uh, he's been there for three weeks after ministering at a church in Sarnia for the last eight years. So as uh, he's wrapping up for hockey season in Montreal, we're getting ready for the Blue Jays. Um, I have my playoff Leafs playoff beard here going. So uh, anyway, that being said, I'm going to invite Dominic to come up and uh, and speak to us this morning. It's a long. Let's welcome him. It's like a long walk. It's a long walk. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. It's good to be here. Good morning, everyone. It's it's so good to be here. I've heard such great things about your church, and finally, I'm here to. Uh, figure that out for myself, you know, and uh, it's, it's a privilege to hear from Pastor Lucas and some other, other people on the team about what God's doing here at the church. And I'm excited to be able to continue in a series really about what it means for you to connect, to connect to each other, to connect to God's work around the world. And one of the things that Pastor Lucas asked me to share about is really how God, is about how God is stretching myself and my family as we listen to God and ask God, what does it mean for us to connect with what he's doing in the world? And so as I begin this morning, I just want to ask you a very simple question is, I want you to think of the most stubborn person you know. Okay, you can't point them out in church. And if it's your spouse, don't look anywhere, right? Just look straight ahead. Just think of the most stubborn person you know. I have a picture of three of them up on the screen. You can go to the picture of my boys. Uh, Those are three of the most stubborn people in our family. Uh, We have three boys. Uh, Our oldest is Josiah, and then Luca, and then Isaac. And uh, to tell you the truth, as stubborn as they are, they get their stubbornness from me. And one of the reasons I want you to think about being stubborn is that part of what happens in our hearts when God starts to call us to new things or to envision a new way forward, or to envision that he wants to use us in different ways, is there's something in our hearts that gets really stubborn. And as much as we love God, our minds really go to why we can't do it, and why things need to stay the same, and why things can't change, or why it's going to be too hard, or why it's going to be too expensive, or why, or why, or why. And what happens is our hearts get very, very stubborn, and uh, kind of we get committed to a certain position, and we come up with all these great excuses on why that's a good idea, and it sounds really, really good. But the truth is, is that God enters those contexts, and he reminds us how he's going to provide, he's going to help us, he's going to provide the resources, all of those things that God does, right? But we still hold on to somehow the stubborn way of thinking about our lives. And this morning, as as I begin, I just want to help you understand how important it is that your church and your leaders and Pastor Lucas and the team and the elders of the church have decided to help you as a church think about what it means to connect to things that are far beyond your reach. And so I've entitled this morning's sermon is, What Does It Mean to Connect Beyond Your Reach? Right? What does it mean to connect in ways that you really don't think are possible? What does it mean to reach out to people that feel so far away and so far off? And it really has to do with with this idea of pursuing multiplication, which is the language that you're using here at the church. What does it mean to do that? And how does does God do that in our own hearts? How God prepares us to do that? Now the series, for those of you who maybe are visiting, maybe you're watching online or somewhere in the building, the series is, is called Connect. What it means to connect. And 
To connect is one of these important human uh, aspects of life that help us to come alive. We need each other to connect. We need each other to know, uh, you know, what our values are. We need each other to affirm each other and to encourage one another. And years ago, it dawned on me how important it is for the church to be those who connect people to God and to each other. I, I, I watched a documentary on uh, people who were being put in prison. And what was amazing is that as I watched this documentary, one of the sections of the documentary talked about that one of the most punishing things that happens to people in jail across our country and other countries is that they're put in solitary confinement. Just think about this. Is that when they really want to punish people when they've done certain things and when they want to really try to teach them a lesson, whether that works or not, that's a whole other documentary. But this is what they do, right? Uh, is that they take them and they seclude them and they say, they say that they're going to take them away from all the people that they know and they're going to put them in a box and seclude them so they're not, they're not connected to anyone. Solitary confinement is this human invention that reminds us of as humans how much we understand that connection keeps us alive and to not have someone connected to anyone actually begins to kill them from the inside out. And in our prisons, actually, today, that's a method that we've come up with. We thought, isn't this a great idea? If you want to crush someone, disconnect them from everyone. Put them in a box and see what happens to them. And we all know what happens to them. The people who are disconnected from others, they start to, to really, they start to lose their minds. Because we need other people to be connected to one another and to understand the things that God's called us to, to be encouraged, to come alive. And so this series called Connect is not just like a flashy, cool idea with a nice logo, right? It really has to do with what it means to be alive. It really has to do with what it means to be the church. It really has to do with what it means to be part of what God is doing in the world. And so I really want to encourage you to look at this series as more, more than just kind of some learning time. But it really is a series about helping you what it means to be the church today in this context here in Toronto and around the world. And, and I get a chance this morning to tell you a little bit about how God is teaching my family and myself to connect beyond our reach. Beyond what we ever thought was possible. In the Bible, if you have a Bible this morning, you can follow along or you can see it on the screen. In the scriptures, one of the most powerful moments of connection has to do with the early church. And the earliest Christians are going are gonna to wrestle with this issue of what it means that God's going to use this small group of people to transform the ancient world. I mean to transform the Roman Empire, then to transform the world. And they for the first time are starting to understand that Jesus is calling them to connect beyond their, their reach. Not only to connect beyond their reach, but to connect beyond the even known world that they even know. I mean, they have no idea that North America exists. People in the Bible don't know like the map of the world yet. But God is beginning to prepare them to connect beyond their understanding of even the world. And in the book of Acts, right at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, we have this moment where Jesus uh, invites his disciples to wait on him for a special anointing. And in Acts chapter 1, you'll see it on the screen. This is what he says. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Because they're asking about the end of the world. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, this is the first time that the followers of Jesus get a glimpse of the fact that he's calling them to reach far beyond the small world that they live in. He's calling them to re-envision the world as his followers and that the connections that they're going to have to make, the reach that they're going to have to make is beyond their power. They actually cannot do it on their own strength. 
Like, they can put all the plans together. They can have all the strategies together. You can have the right bylaws. You can do all the homework. But if it's not for the supernatural power of God's Spirit, they will not be able to be witnesses beyond their little context there. And imagine what, how difficult it would have been for the disciples to understand that the power that was going to come upon them was going to teach them not only to reach beyond just Jerusalem, but was going to invite them to love people that they had learned to hate their whole lives. I mean, imagine that for the earliest followers of Jesus, people in Samaria are not friendly people. People in Judea are sometimes considered outsiders. There's all these other people, and we like Jerusalem. I mean, we like it here in Toronto. We like the way things are. We like our culture. We like our food. You know, I know that doesn't happen here, but it happens a lot in my context, right? People who just like the safety of their families. And then we start to smell other people's customs and foods. We have to deal with other languages. And we're like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Maybe I'll visit a restaurant, like with different types of food. But that's about it, right? I'm not going much further than that. And then your son or daughter starts to date someone from another culture and that like causes your family to lose their minds. Any of you have any of those issues? None? Okay, just in my context. Okay, I'm, I'm married outside of the Italian family, uh, outside of the Italian culture. And th- it was a fun time. It was a fun time. Yeah, there's lots to learn there. Right? You realize that in a small way, just a small reach outside of our culture, is like, whoa, let's slow it down, everybody. This is getting a bit aggressive. You know, what do you mean? And all of the early followers of Jesus are going to learn very quickly that to follow Jesus is to always be open for God's Spirit to prompt us to move beyond our comfort zone, what we think we can reach, and how far we think we can go. And so in the book of Acts, right at the beginning, Jesus tells his followers that they will have to wait for the power of the Spirit. That's pretty amazing. The, the power of the Spirit, some of you maybe if you're in church, you've been in church for a long time, you know this. But the actual Greek language for the word power is dunamis. Okay? The Greek word dunamis is the Greek word for power. We get our English word for dynamite from this word. Okay? It's that this power that the Spirit is going to give to these early followers is going to be like this dynamite type of power. If you, if you think about dynamite, I mean, it's the messiest things you can imagine. right? It's like things are going to explode in a way that they can't even prepare for. All they're going to have to learn how to do is trust Jesus as they move forward. And he says to them, when this happens, you will be able to have this supernatural strength to begin to reach far beyond what you thought was possible. To begin to love people that you never thought you'd love. Yeah, yeah, you too, Peter. You're going to go to Samaria. You, John, you're going to go reach people you don't like. It's like me learning to become friends with a Leafs fan, right? That's not going to happen. I'm a Montreal, any Montreal fans here, Habs fans? Okay, only one? Wow, I'm in trouble. Okay, two, all right. It's like thinking, I just don't want to be around people that are not like me. Like, I don't like you. And I don't even care if God reaches you. This is not my problem. It's God's problem. And Jesus says to his disciples, when my spirit comes upon you with power, something will happen in your heart. And what happens in your heart is going to be so supernatural that you're going to begin to love in ways that you never thought were possible. And as you do that, you will see me use you and use the church to reach out to people who thought they were unlovable, who thought that God would never reach them. And God begins to develop the church around this very, very important promise in the book of Acts. 
And I just want to share a little bit with you before I go on and tell you a little bit about a story that Jesus tells his disciples. I want to share a little bit about how God has been doing this to me and my family. It was about eight months ago. I was pastoring a church in Sarnia, Ontario. Anybody know where Sarnia is? Sarnia, Ontario? Yeah, not Narnia, but Sarnia, right? Uh, Sarnia, Ontario. And I was the lead pastor of a church and God was blessing our church. We were growing and we were learning and we were loving it. And, and around eight months ago, I remember in my quiet time when I was praying, I sensed God starting to prompt in me this need uh, to go to Quebec, which means to go back home because I grew up in Montreal, Quebec. I grew up in Montreal and there was a sense that God was calling me to kind of consider going back there for some reason. And I thought, this can't be from God. This is kind of weird. And you have those moments where you kind of ignore it. You're like, I hope some other person does that. That'll be great, right? And so I kept praying. And as I prayed, uh, it, it might sound weird because it's hard to always hear God's voice clearly, right? It's not like you just see an angel. If you do see an angel, that's great. But it doesn't always happen that way, right? So I'm just like, is this from God? Is this from me? And then I started to read certain articles that were coming to my attention about the serious spiritual needs in Quebec. The fact that fewer and fewer people were going to church. The fact that fewer and fewer people were, were talking about Jesus and God in a way that was life-giving. I read it one article in Christianity Today magazine. You'll see it on the screen behind me. And the article talks about Quebec as Canada's prodigal province. And to tell you the truth, when I read this article, you can read it on the internet. It's, it's free. I got offended. Like at this moment, I'm like, why are Americans writing about Quebec as if they know anything about it? And if you're American, don't get offended. It, it, it was just like my own, like, I'm from there. Like my family lives there. And what's this article about anyway? And so I read through the article and I started to realize like things that I never realized before. Like this incredible need and the fact that Quebec is really beginning, it's starting to be seen as the most secular area to live in all of North America. And, and in some other parts of the world as well, if you've, if you've ever been to France or places in Europe, Quebec's spiritual climate is very much like those places where people are done with the church. I mean, they don't even care about what the church thinks about issues. I, I use this example often with people when I, when I share the story. It's like in Ontario and in some places around North America, there's this battle going on about marriage. What's marriage going to be like? And, you know, there, there's sexual questions that we have to deal with with our school and our children. And uh, there's all of these tensions. In Quebec, nobody even cares about those issues because people don't even get married. They're like, who cares? You guys keep fighting about your whatever marriage means in your churches. We don't care. Just to give you an example of how different the culture is there. People have decided that the Bible... Jesus, the church, they're just irrelevant. And they, have, they want nothing to do with that. And so I read this article, and this article kind of sparked in my heart this burden again. And then also what I read was that the secular newspaper in Montreal called the Gazette was also like talking about the church. You can go to the next slide of the image. This is what one article in the secular paper, like in the paper, in the newspaper, this is what they said, old churches seeking new vocations. It says more than 340 churches have been abandoned converted or demolished since 2000 in Quebec. These are like cathedrals and buildings and churches. And many of you know this, that the church is not a building, right? You can get rid of the building. But buildings being emptied and destroyed are a sign that people who were part of those communities are no longer seeing the church as valid and worth attending. And the Catholic church in some contexts of Quebec is giving away buildings for free. Like to condo developers and to other churches and just saying you can use them because you get them for free. But the rental fees and the heating bills are like insane, right? So you, it's not a good deal at the end of the day. And I kept reading about these stories and I'm thinking, wow, I hope God sends somebody to Quebec. It'd be great. I hope there's like a church that is going to care about this problem. 
And as I prayed about this, I started to get this sense that God was saying, Dom, you have to go to Quebec. I'm thinking, no, no, it's not for me. Like, I love our church. Our church is growing. I'm comfortable. We have a big staff. I get to lead a wonderful team. You know, and, and, and I kind of wrestled with my head. You know, I'm going to leave 800 people for eight people in my house. You know that feeling? You're like, that's not going to happen. Like, I mean, somebody else can do that. And at the same time, I thought about my family. Most of my family are not believers. I thought of my friends who don't care about God. I thought about people that I know that I'll never hear about Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. If this just, nobody cares about this. And so as I, as I kept praying, one day something came to my mind, which was really, really important to this whole story, is that when I got married, my wife said that she'd never live in Quebec. So I'm like, this is going to be perfect. I can blame everything on her. Isn't that great? When you can blame everything on your wife, you're like, it was her, Jesus. I don't know. It was her, right? So I remember thinking, you know what I'll do? I'll just tell my wife that I think we have to leave Sarnia, and by the way, her parents live down the street from us, and leave her family and go to Quebec. I'll just tell her, and it'll be great. This will all be done. So I said, hey, hon, just want to tell you something. I've been praying, and I've been sensing that maybe we have to leave here and go to Quebec. And at that point, I wasn't sure what it meant to go to Quebec, whether we were going to plant a church or help a church. I, I wasn't sure. And I said, it's kind of weird, and it's not going away. So I said, would you pray about this? And she had like that look, which is like, like, are you serious? And I was like, I I'm serious. Like, I don't know what else to do. I'm like, would you just pray about it? And she says, okay. And I kept praying and she kept praying and we prayed. And as I prayed, I'm like, God, good luck. Gotta go. You know, so, oh, you know, just thought that's gonna happen, right? And then a few weeks went by and a missionary came and spoke at our church in Sarnia. This missionary came and the missionary was talking about different parts of Africa and the Congo and the sacrifices that people were making for the gospel around the world. Right? And I'm listening to this missionary and I'm thinking, this is beautiful, this is amazing, the sacrifices. And I went home that Sunday afternoon and my wife is sitting at the, on the couch and she's under her iPad. And I turn to her and I say, hey, hon, wasn't that missionary like amazing, like the sacrifices that people are making? And as I'm, I turn to look at her, she's crying. And I say to her, like, are you okay? And she says, you know, this morning as the missionary was talking, Jesus spoke to me about Quebec. And I was like, well, what did he say? She said, I think you're right. I think we have to go and plant a church in Quebec. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, it's that moment when God answers your prayer, but it's a bad thing. You're like, he did what? That's not supposed to happen this way. And I'm like, what? that is impossible. She's like, no, I think, I think you're right. I think we have to do this. And I'm like, we have to tell your family. They're going to want to kill me. Uh, how are we going to tell our church? So my mind quickly starts going to like, how do I walk the transition from a church that we love and begin to move to this new unknown? I mean, you leave a stable church with a stable salary with to nothing. And I remember telling my family, who's in Montreal, my dad specifically, who's not a believer. And I was trying to explain church planting to him. And he's like, so let me get this straight. You have a job now, and with my dad, maybe with your family, it's all economics, right? So he's like, let me get this. So you have a job now, and God pays the bills, and you're leaving that for no job, right? I'm like, right. And he's like, why? Um, and for my daddy, he, in his mind, he's like, that means you're going to want to live with us. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I think God is going to provide. Like, I, I, I had no comeback. And he's like, wow, so you're going to be like a priest here. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever that is, yes. And you realize how few people don't have categories for even what church planting means. Some people are like, so you're going to build a building? 
I'm like, what are you going to do? So I'm like, no, we're going to meet in our home and love the community and listen to God. So within a a few months, we began our transition to helping the church in Sarnia understand that God was calling us to go to Quebec. And one of the things that I prayed is I prayed that God would really uh, prepare the church to hear the news because I knew how hard it would be for them. And I started to pray and I said, God, you have to prepare the people to hear this. All of them will be shocked. They'll be upset. Some of them will be angry at me. Some of them will be angry at you. Uh, There's a special relationship that a pastor has with this church. And we love them. Uh, We still do. And so I remember sharing that Sunday morning that we were beginning a transition after talking with our elders and praying with our friends to go to Quebec to something unknown. We had no idea. There was no church. And our church gave us a standing ovation They wept with us, and they committed to supporting us financially as we went. And for us, it was such a reminder that God was doing something special. And here's the greatest thing. We ended up telling our church that we were doing this under the covering of the new ventures of the Missionary Alliance. And our church was a Baptist church. And they had to wrestle for the first time on what it meant to think about the kingdom of God more than to think about their own denomination. And they said, we're ready to support you no matter what denomination you're with. Because this is about the kingdom of God of God. This is about something so much bigger. And what's been beautiful for my wife and I and for our kids is that we've taken the step of faith and God is beginning to teach us what it means to invite other churches to be part of this journey with us. So I was saying this to Pastor Lucas uh, a few days ago, that out of all the churches that support us, we have, we, we yet have, like, don't have a real committed alliance church behind us. But we have churches from all the other denominations that are supporting us. But yet we're, in a line, we're connected to the Alliance family. And that can be both good and bad, but it's a great testament of people around Canada and, and there's a church in the U.S. that's thinking about helping us and parting the journey with us is that this is so much bigger than just our churches. This is God teaching his church what he was teaching them in Acts chapter 1. That they would have to learn what it means to pursue multiplication and to connect with people beyond their reach, beyond their structures, beyond their, even their categories of reaching. And we've been really blessed to see churches wrestle with that and learn how to do that. Jesus all, always got in trouble in the Bible when he started to reach out beyond the suggested rules of the religious culture of his time. Whenever Jesus called people to push outside of the boundaries, he got in trouble and he got his hand slapped. Whenever he started to meet with tax collectors and sinners, and people heard about this, it's like he would start to get in trouble. And in Mark chapter 4, I just want to quickly just highlight a passage where Jesus tries to help people understand this in a new way. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching his disciples and his ministry is starting to grow. And right at the beginning of Mark chapter 4, this is what it says. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. It says this, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. And a very large crowd soon gathered around them, so he got into a boat. I mean, people are starting to come and to follow. And then he sat in the boat, and while all the people remained on the shore, he taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables. Jesus often began to tell people stories, and he used parables. And for those of you who don't know what that is, a parable, very in a simple way, is a story with a twist. It's just a story that people would have understood and Jesus would often twist the end of the story or a character in the story to get people's attention. Where they'd be like, whoa, that's not how the story's supposed to go, right? It's almost like hearing something that you're used to hearing and then it gets changed at the end. As if the worship team came up and sang a song and the last sentence of the song got changed. You'd be like, wait a second, that song doesn't go that way. Jesus often did this. And it was to get people's attention so they would understand in fresh ways what God was doing. 
And in Mark chapter 4, what Jesus does is he begins to teach uh, through these parables. And what's amazing about the parables that Jesus uses is that oftentimes people are confused when they hear the parables. So it's not like this amazing tool that helps people sometimes. Actually, the reason Jesus does this is because it draws people into asking more questions. It helps people to wrestle with what they really believe and whether they're really ready to follow Jesus. And in the next few sections in that same chapter, this is what happens. Later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. This is a great, a great picture for me of, of the earliest disciples. Imagine them being with Jesus all day, okay? He's teaching, he's on a boat, he's teaching these great stories. It's the end of the day, everybody's tired, they want to go to McDonald's, they want to go eat some food somewhere. And they're like, hey guys, you know that parable that Jesus just talked about, about the seeds and the farmer? What do you think that was about? And they're like, to tell you the truth, guys, I have no idea. Hey, you, do, you, do you know what that parable is about? And they're like, I have no idea either. So imagine how the discussion about which one of them is going to tell Jesus that. So are like, hey guys, which one of you is going to tell Jesus that we have no idea what that whole sermon was about? Imagine like Pastor Lucas preaching a sermon and all of you leaving and being like, what was that about? That was a weird vision sermon. That was really, and you'd be like, so which one of the elders is going to tell him that? That we have no idea what he's saying. This is what's happening in Mark chapter 4. The disciples are at the place and they're like, that was a great story. Yep, yeah, yeah I, we love that. Yeah, seeds and, you know, butchers and uh, flowers and all that stuff. It's great, Jesus. But we don't know what that means. And then Jesus says something really, really important. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Jesus introduces us to his favorite words for what it means to be a multiplying community. He says, you will now understand the secret of the kingdom of God. In Mark's gospel, whenever Jesus wants to talk about his ministry expanding beyond the reach of Jerusalem, he's going to talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the way Jesus speaks about the reign of God being ushered into all of the world. It's not just a church. It's not just a denomination. It's the people of God on mission focused on loving Jesus with everything that they have. When that happens at every level, we are becoming part of the kingdom of God. And also the kingdom of God encompasses all of the people who came before Jesus, who are part of that whole move of God, okay? So whenever Jesus uses the language about the kingdom of God, he's trying to help people think outside of the categories of what's safe, of what they think they know, of what's beyond reach. And he says to them one day, he says, you know what, these parables that I'm teaching you, they're meant to stretch you to understand that everything around you is not just about you. That's what Jesus says. He says, you know this church, it's not really about you. You know this community and the programs, it's not really just about your kids and what you want your kids to learn. And we live in a culture, and this danger also takes place in our church, where we start to become parts of communities of faith for what we can get out of them. For how this is going to work with my family and with my kids and with our youth and with worship. I want to know what I can get out of this. And whenever that started to happen, Jesus would remind people about the kingdom of God. About something that was much bigger than just their needs and what they wanted. Because oftentimes Jesus was going to call them to sacrifice 
and to give and to serve and to love and to pray for those that weren't even part of the community. How are you guys doing with that? How's Bayview Glen doing with that? How are you doing as a church as it relates to caring for those who are not here? How are you doing as it relates to thinking about the kingdom of God and the needs that are taking place outside of this context that have very little to do with you? One of the greatest things is to have people who have no young children. People who have, you know, who are later on in their life and their 50s and their kids are moved on and their grandparents and they commit to giving to the children's ministry even though technically they might not even benefit from it. Or people are saying, I'm going to help in the youth group, although I don't have any youth, and I'm a single mom, or, you know, I, I've never even had kids, and I'm going to serve in that capacity, because it's not just about me. We are famous for finding ways to serve and to help in areas that always benefit us. Always. And those who are part of the kingdom of God, and those who understand what it means to follow Jesus, experience the benefits of being part of a church family, but are always ready to say, this is bigger than just me. I'm willing to give and be part of something that has very little to do with me. And part of what we're learning as we, you know, are in Quebec now, or in Montreal, we're learning about churches that are ready to do that. And my prayer is that Bayview Glen and the leadership here is praying this prayer. God, make us a church that's pursuing multiplication, that's thinking about people that are far from you, more than just of our needs right here, just the things that we want and the things that we need. What does it mean to be stretched by God and to trust Him in new ways? So Jesus decides... That his disciples are all confused that he's going to tell them a parable about the kingdom of God. And I want to close by just reading you that parable and by telling you a little thing about it and then I'm going to close here. This is what Jesus says to them. How can I describe the kingdom of God to you? What story should I use to illustrate it? He says it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground and it's the smallest of all seeds. But it becomes the largest of all the garden plants and it grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. So Jesus decides that he's going to tell his disciples and those who are listening a parable about the kingdom of God. I'm just curious. How many of you have heard this parable before? Have you heard it? Yeah. Many of us have heard it, right? So Jesus says this is great. Here's a great way to understand the kingdom of God. It's like this small seed, which is the ministry of Jesus, planting the seed, the cross, the resurrection. And it's going to grow and it's going to grow and become the biggest plant in all of the garden. And so I want you to pause that for a minute. And I want you to try to put yourself back in the context of the first century. What most of the people who are listening to Jesus are agrarian thinkers. They're farmers. Any farmers here? People who grew up on a farm or live on a farm? No, Toronto, big city, beautiful. A few people. Okay, great. So imagine if you're a farmer and imagine if you have a garden and you hear someone say to you that the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed plant. That you plant in a garden and you're going to love this. It's great. And what it does is it grows really, really big, bigger than everything in the garden. And as it grows, you know what it starts to attract? Birds. Now, if you're a farmer and you have a garden, are birds a good thing? They're a horrible thing. They're the worst thing ever. Have you ever been to the beach and you start eating and seagulls show up? And then somehow they do a weird thing and all their friends show up. And there's like a million seagulls at the beach. Ever happened to you? And then one person that you want to kill decides they're going to do what? Feed the seagulls. Exactly. And then like, you're like, what is happening right now, right? And we have three young boys like you saw in the picture. And they, they love doing that, right? I'm like, hey guys, daddy's going to give you a fishy cracker. Any parents here, you know what fishy crackers are, right? I'm going to give you a fishy cracker. You cannot feed the seagulls. 
Because if you feed them, it's going to be over. And all the people at the beach here are going to hate us. Okay? And then we can never tell them about Jesus. No, I don't say that. But <laughs> We don't say that. But there's this moment where you envision what it's like to have all of these birds show up, right? And you're like, oh, this is so disgusting. Why is this happening? So picture that feeling and picture that people who are hearing Jesus tell this parable start to feel that. Jesus is like, isn't this great that the kingdom of God is like this tree and it's awesome. And all of these birds, they come and they start to like live in the tree and they start to eat all of your plants and your garden. And everybody would have thought one thing. Why would anybody ever want to be part of a kingdom like this? Why would we want this? And Jesus is like, that's exactly the problem. That until you're not ready to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, which is that the reign of my father and the ministry that I'm unleashing in this world is about to attract people and to draw people and to cause you to live outside of your comfort zone, to welcome and love people that are not like you, that have different backgrounds and different questions and different customs. If you're not willing to make room for them and if you're not willing to reach out and connect with them, you will hate the kingdom of God. You will hate it. Not only that, you're going to hate heaven. So Jesus says, hey, how about you start practicing that now? How about you start doing now what you will have to do for the rest of your life as you're part of my kingdom? Are you ready? Are you ready for this? You can imagine the people listening to Jesus thinking about, who would ever follow this guy? This is craziness. And the disciples being like, we don't understand this. What does this mean for us? And then we get to Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says the power of the Father and the Spirit will come upon you and you will be able to live this out every day. Are you ready to be that kind of church? Are you ready to embody the kingdom of God here on earth? Because if you're not, it will be very hard for you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because you know we pray every time we pray. Right? What has to come? The kingdom of God come here on earth as it is in heaven. May you unleash your kingdom among us so that the world will get a picture of what it's like for us to be those who love to connect way beyond our reach, way beyond our resources, way beyond our comfort zones to love people who are far from Jesus. And I know that God is preparing Bayview Glen for something like this. I know that God is stirring in your hearts and in your leaders this vision and this passion to do that. And, and as you pray and as you dream and as you give and as you, you know, serve, I'm going to ask you in a very simple way to pray for us, to pray for our church in Montreal. Uh, this coming Thursday is a special night. It's September 24th. It's our first vision night uh, for our, our small little, there's a few families that are thinking about being part of this new church and we're meeting in a warehouse and, and the church name, you can go back to the slide, the church name is called The 180. And you can go to domrusso.com, which is a temporary website, to get more info about, you know, how people can pray for us and support us and a bit of our team and a bit of Quebec and why Quebec is on our hearts. And, and the name, the 180, comes from the idea of repentance. That Jesus invited people who were ready to follow him to basically do a 180, to change direction, to stop walking and living for themselves and to turn and to walk towards his direction. And what's so beautiful about the imagery of turning and changing is that in the early church, when people got baptized, it was very customary for them to, before they entered the waters of baptism, to actually turn towards the west. They would turn towards the west. I don't know where I am here, but to, to turn westward, right? 
and they would turn towards the West and they would renounce their old way of life. Because the West was the place that the sun went down. And it was the place of darkness and night and all of the things that they, when they lived for themselves. And before they entered the waters of baptism, they were asked to turn towards the east as a sign of where the sun comes up and where, you know, those who will be raised to life will come up, right? So every time they actually entered the water, they did a 180. And it was, it was symbolic of what it meant to follow Jesus. And you know what? As we begin this journey, we're going to need lots of churches praying for us thinking of us and just, you know, supporting us and however the Lord leads. So I encourage you to go to the website, domrusso1s.com, just to find out more so you can pray for us. And I'm just going to close. I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray for you and the worship team is going to come back up. And you know what? Our first week in Montreal, we, we, we moved to Montreal August 18th. So we've been there for just about a month, a little bit over a month. And uh, our first week in our home, we had a, a water leak in our bathroom in our main floor. And the water leaked everywhere, and the wall of our, our main floor has a hole in it. And, you know, if you ever have a water leak, it's like you're going to lose your mind, and there's boxes everywhere, and water's leaking. And I had a moment where I'm like, okay, we're going to be okay, right? My, my wife's going to cry. I'm going to cry. I don't know we're going to get the money, but we're going to be okay, right? Two days later, they break into my car outside of my house, right? So I'm like, okay, we got this. It's going to be okay. You know, this is good. Water leak. I'm gonna call, I called the insurance, and the insurance was like, we've never had this in our history of insurance, where somebody moves and you have a claim for a water problem. I have a hole in my ceiling of my house. They break into my car. Two days later, the cops and the ambulance show up on our street because our neighbors are having this fight that is so like crazy that the cops show up and I'm thinking, we're in the perfect place for a church. This is great. This is where we need to be. And I had this moment where God reminded me that just because you're being obedient doesn't mean this is going to be hard. Just because you're following in my footsteps doesn't mean you're going to have times where you're going to think, what is going on? So I want to remind you, that as you pursue multiplication, as you step out in faith and say, we're going to be a church that models the kingdom of God, it will be very difficult to do that. And I'm going to encourage you to do it anyway. And that's how I'm going to pray for you this morning. Jesus, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for those who are watching online and those who are thinking about what it means to surrender their lives in fresh ways to model the kingdom of God. Jesus, help us. Help us to live for you and for you alone to set aside our selfish concerns that get in the way of your glory and your kingdom and, and get in the way of us being able to present the story of the gospel, of the good news to people who don't know you. I pray for Pastor Lucas and the elders and the leadership here. I pray you would infuse them with a fresh vision and provide the resources that they need to be the church you're calling them to be, Father. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.